You're listening to episode 106 of the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we talk about the difference between empathy and compassion. Welcome to the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we explore how to use the science of psychology, Eastern spiritual practices like mindfulness and compassion, and the game-changing work of self-coaching so you can free your mind and free your life. I'm your host, Anna Verzoni. Hey there, amigos. I'm on my way to Oregon and will be on the road for an entire month. I'm committed to bringing just a carry-on bag. <laughs> We're going to road trip in my camper van, Mama Bear, which has been waiting for us in Oregon through COVID since I couldn't drive it up through Canada to Alaska for hella long during the pandemic. Then I go to Hawaii for some scouting for future retreats on Maui with my friend Angela. That trip's quick, just four nights. Then off to a for realsies silent meditation retreat for eight days. I am making up for lost retreat time during COVID, y'all. And this is why I realized I created this location independent lifestyle. Because normally it would totally stress me out when my kid was out of school for the summer. And now I'm like, this is sweet. Like I'm going to road trip with her. And I find like childcare where when we visit these other places, it's so awesome because I'm still working on the road, you know? Anyway, I was thinking about what we would jam on this week. And I remember how I can cry so damn easily, like ugly cry. We did this beautiful ceremony at the end of my last meditation retreat at Spirit Rock, and we were walking in concentric circles, bowing to one another, chanting, and I looked this woman in the eyes, and she was sobbing with joy, but like sobbing, and bam, I started sobbing also with joy for how beautiful and precious the moment was, and I didn't stop the entire time. I was like, what the fuck? That was so fast and so intense. I had an immediate response to her tears, even if they were of joy. And I could not rein that chisel in for the life of me. On the other end of tears, as a nurse, a midwife, and also a death doula, I've witnessed a lot of suffering. I've delivered stillborn babies and sat with their mothers as they held them and sobbed. I held their babies myself kissed them on the forehead and cried while I was holding that baby. I've seen elders come into the emergency department after watching their life partner die of a heart attack and holding them in their sadness as they were feeling really alone. I've sat beside with grieving families as a beloved family member was taking their last breaths. I've heard horrifying war stories working in refugee camps. You know, I remember One mom I had sent into the hospital from the refugee camp because I felt she wasn't in just regular preterm labor. I felt she had an acute abdomen, like an infection in her uh, abdomen of unknown etiology, probably appendix. I sent her in to have that evaluated. They totally ignored it, and she died of sepsis on the table. And I went to visit her orphaned baby and the five siblings that now this uh, grandmother fleeing a war was taken care of. So she had to leave them in an orphanage. And she said she would come back for them in two years. And I was told they do. They do tend to come back for them. And I've 
have worked at community clinics serving the underserved, you know, people often living in horrible conditions and violent and fear-ridden environments. And I found that what drew me to this kind of work was a natural inclination towards compassion. Yet, it seemed that's the very thing that made the work so damn hard. But I think I had a misunderstanding of the difference between empathy and compassion, as well as not having the skills for true self-care. Like, it felt like I care too much. But really, I realized it was because I was over-identifying with the suffering I was witnessing. It wasn't compassion that was overwhelming me at the time. In this instance, it was unprotected empathy, unchecked empathy. And I'm not alone. It turns out a lot of people mistake empathy for compassion. So that's what I want to clear up today because we need more of us not closing down, not burning out, okay? So empathy is understanding how someone feels and trying to imagine how that might feel for you. It's a mode of relating and it can even involve feeling that same feeling within ourselves. Compassion is witnessing suffering and wanting to do something about it. Compassion in the classical teachings of the Buddhist tradition is often described as the heart that trembles in the face of suffering. Isn't that beautiful? And then wanting to do something about it. It comes out of one's need or feeling to help someone else. So empathy sparks compassion and compassion builds empathy. Empathy is this kind of gateway to compassion. So we identify with another person's feelings, that's empathy. Then we're motivated to take action, maybe even massive action and do something, which is compassion. With empathy, while we may experience and really relate to the suffering of others, we might not actually do something to help. Whereas with compassion, we take a step away from the emotion we're feeling with empathy and want to take action. And we ask ourselves, how can I help? Empathy can be painful, while compassion can actually be a really joyful place to be. Empathy is usually more transient, but compassion can be more like a state of being, you know, like longer lasting. Another way we can look at it is empathy is more of an automatic feeling and compassion is manifested in intentional action. So they're different and complementary. When one's absent from the other, it can cause imbalance. So empathy without compassion becomes something that can incapacitate us and also cause more problems than it helps with. So recognizing the difference between compassion and empathy is important as we try to cultivate more compassion and mindfulness, staying fully present with the suffering we might bear witness to, right? And in this world, we can often be overwhelmed with the suffering we're witnessing. I think about all my healthcare friends who left the field in the last two and a half years because they couldn't bear the amount of death and suffering they saw during the pandemic. It was just too much. And when we can't stay present with the suffering because it becomes too much to bear, we can numb out, burn out, check out, we can try to spiritually bypass, pretend it's all good, or get super uncomfortable when someone we are with is suffering. So I want to go over some ways we can cultivate more compassion and compassionate action versus empathy, which can be overwhelming if left unchecked. It's excessive over-identification with the suffering of others via our empathy that leads to what some people incorrectly call compassion fatigue. 
It can actually be over-empathizing and over-identifying with the suffering of another. We can start by being aware of the differences between empathy and compassion, which I discussed above, and knowing which one we are currently in. When we have felt the empathy, we check into how it sparks compassion and then reflect on how we can take effective action to help, and then we do it. And we're like catching if we're ruminating and over-identifying with the suffering, right? We can also intentionally have a more deliberate response instead of going with what feels like more of an impulsive emotional response. Empathy is more reactive that way. Compassion's more deliberate. There's for sure a place for our gut feeling, for letting something move you to the core. But when you want to take the most effective action and help alleviate suffering, skillful action in a situation, compassionate action is more deliberate, whereas empathy is more automatic and impulsive. It's more of a reflex. Empathy originates in the emotion centers of the brain. So empathetic feelings, thoughts, actions, including the decisions we make, are generated from this less conscious level. So we're less aware and therefore less intentional about those decisions. Compassion is considered to be more deliberate because it originates in the cognitive centers of our brain. So compassionate feelings, thoughts, and actions, including decisions, pass through filters in a more conscious, mindful way. We're more likely to reflect on the situation deliberate options we might have, and maybe even improve on any decisions we make. Both empathy and compassion can be experienced as emotions, but with compassion, there's more distance between you and the suffering you're observing. Not in a checked out kind of way, but you're just not over-identifying. So you're able to take a step back and ask yourself what you can do to help. More deliberate, less instinctual. So we're able to be more mindful of suffering with compassion. So we won't tune it out or try to escape. It allows us to take suffering and make it part of our spiritual path. So this kind of relates to the next thing, which is to cultivate equanimity. Something I didn't know before was that while empathy strongly relates to the brain's tendency to identify with others' emotions, it's particularly cued to do so with those who are close to us, literally, like physically close to us, as well as relationally or in terms of how familiar we are with the person, like friends or family versus just distant acquaintances. And this may seem benign, like, well, of course it's easier to identify with those closer to me. But the issue with this is that it makes it more limited. When we tend to empathize more so with those close to us, those who are not close to us or are different can seem like a threat. So when unchecked, this is actually a sneaky way that empathy can actually create more division than unity. Our brains, which are efficiency machines, want to do what's easy. So because of this bias for those close to us makes it easier for us to have empathy for them, when it comes to helping those outside of our closer circle of friends and family, outsiders who are suffering, our brains perceive it as hard work and are less likely to put in the effort or even reject it. And you can see how this is more reactive, right? Our instinct is to empathize with, support, and protect our closest people. So we're more likely to perceive people outside of that circle as a threat to our social identity. 
And a recent study found that empathy triggered from social connection makes it more likely that we will dehumanize people that we see as belonging to a different group than us. And we've seen this manifest all around us in racism, white supremacy, classism, homophobia, transphobia, genocide, political differences, all the things. Yet we often fail to see that this perspective is such a basic reflex, right? Like just so undeveloped. And if the world was run purely on our basic reflexes, we'd probably all be gone by now. And in one extreme, empaths experience that feeling the emotions of others around us without boundaries can have a negative impact on our judgment and potentially lead to bad decisions. And on the other end of extreme empathy, we can feel aversion to those who are different from us. Isn't that wild to think about? So when taking into account areas with extreme conflict, the research shows that it's not so much a lack of empathy that's the issue, but rather it's this cognitive bias that persists. And they have high empathy actually for their own group and low empathy for the opposing group. And that's how our brains are set up in that basic reflexive way, right? And compassion, on the other hand, is less related to someone in our in-group. It's the ability to sympathize with another's suffering, irrespective of their social or personal identity. We have the capacity to see the human condition, the existence of myriad ways humans suffer, and we can relate to that suffering no matter the differences in ethnicity, age, cultural or ethnic background, sexual orientation, gender, abilities, or religion. I feel like Buddha was way ahead of the game with this one. Upeka in Pali means equanimity. One interpretation is that it means to look over. So the equanimity that arises from the ability to see without being hooked by what we see. It can also refer to the spaciousness that comes from seeing the bigger picture, the meta view. In India, Upeka was sometimes used to mean to see with patience or seeing with understanding. For example, if someone says something that offends us, we don't take it personally and therefore are less likely to react. So this form of equanimity sometimes compared to grandmotherly love. The grandmother like clearly loves their grandchildren, but thanks to their experience with their own children, they're less likely to be caught up in the drama of the grandchildren's lives. Yeah. True equanimity isn't indifference towards others. No, 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 no. It's engagement in a way that's balanced with all aspects of life. It's opening to the whole of life with composure and ease of mind, accepting the beautiful and terrifying nature of all things and all people, the loved and the unloved, the agreeable and the disagreeable. And it eliminates clinging and aversion. So cultivating equanimity can be great here. And I talk about that a little bit more uh, later on. So the other thing is to engage in massive action, not passive action. As we talked about earlier, empathy is more of the instinctual feeling we get when we identify and even experience another's feelings, but compassion eventually manifests as doing something. As a result, too much empathy without compassion can lead to feeling stuck. We end up just replaying the scenes of suffering over and over in our heads, which is a type of passive action. 
thinking about it, worrying about it, feeling bad about it. This doesn't help and can even lead to depressive symptoms. When we take massive action from a place of compassion, we're creating a result, doing something to change the situation. Our empathy is turned into compassion and then into action. At some point, we need to be willing to let go of identifying with the feelings and the rumination and start to move towards compassionate action. Try to think not so much about what's the nicest thing I can do, but the thing that would be of most benefit to decrease the suffering, right? And we can check our intention too, like put ourselves in their shoes, considering their reality, how can we be of benefit in this situation? We also can't forget self-care and self-compassion. As time goes on, over-identifying with another's emotions can be exhausting. Raise your hand if you have ever experienced that, right? For sure. We're also less likely to care for ourselves and our own emotional well-being because we don't have enough energy left to do so. Being regularly bombarded with negative experiences of someone, negative emotions, that can sap our cognitive resources, and take a toll on our mental health. On the other hand, compassion's intentional and focused on solutions. Because we're more intentional about it and able to deliberate if our choices are wise or not, it's more often restorative to ourselves versus draining. It can be more pleasurable, right? And let's not forget our brain's reward system that gives us a little dopamine hit when we help other people, right? Now, of course, there can be an extreme of compassion as well, where we just want to keep doing and doing and doing to help without taking a break for self-care and practicing self-compassion. This is compassion fatigue. You know the oxygen mask analogy. It's a good one, right? On the airplane, they tell you, put your own mask on before helping others with theirs. You're no good to others passed out, y'all. Similarly, we can't give to others what we don't have ourselves. And that's where self-compassion comes in. And if you think you've heard this before, let me drop some Yoda on you, right? To know and not do is not to know. So if you're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before, let Yoda come in. And Yoda will be like, to know and not do is not to know, okay? So if you think you've heard that, see if you can implement it right? And I'll link to the self-compassion episode in the show notes. Self-compassion also includes self-care, like getting to bed on time and getting enough sleep, taking breaks throughout the day and not holding your pee for 12 hours. I know you nurses out there who do that. It includes taking vacations, all of your vacation days, and eating well and moving your body in the way it loves. It also includes doing the internal work to redirect that inner mean girl and give her a new job that's more helpful. It also helps to have a mindfulness practice. So one of the most important insights from empathy and compassion research is that having a regular mindfulness practice or another contemplative practice is one of the best paths for increasing compassion because mindfulness is awareness without judgment. It's maintaining a moment-by-moment awareness of our thoughts, feelings, bodily sensations, surrounding environment through a gentle nurturing lens And in this way, mindfulness helps us be more self-aware, more intentional, and more deliberate and thoughtful. The last thing I want to suggest is to try a Tonglen practice. This practice taught to me by Geshe, Geshe Sultram Gelson. We did a 10-day immersion with him, and it was me and two other students. It was epic. It's an ancient meditation practice that helps to cultivate compassion. 
And it has helped me heal so many relationships as well as help me have more compassion for myself. And I'll link to a live one I did in the show notes, but there's many more out there with better audio quality, like ones with Pema Chodron too. And this practice can be life-changing. So I learned it in the Tibetan tradition. And so Tonglen practice is also known as taking and sending. And it flips our usual default mode of avoiding suffering and seeking pleasure in that motivational triad you've heard me speak of a lot, right? And in Tonglen practice, we visualize taking in the pain of others with every in-breath and sending out whatever will benefit them on the out-breath. And what's cool is it also helps cultivate equanimity because we start with ourselves and then we start with someone who's easy to love. Sometimes we switch those two. Then we go to like family and friends and we go to someone who's challenging and then more challenging and then like everyone in the universe, all beings in the universe, right? And through this, we start to let go of selfishness and not in this like let people walk all over me kind of way. Rather, we begin to feel authentic love for both ourselves and others. We begin to take care of ourselves and others. And when I ask Geshe-la, what's one meditation practice I should do? If I had to pick one, and this one was it, this is, he said Tonglen. So I highly recommend checking that out. We do this as a practice on the Adventure Mastermind as well. So, okay, Rebel, I hope that clears some things up for you so that you don't feel extreme empathy in a way that shuts you down. We want to love and love and love and not have our hearts closed down. And that's a true skill that you can actually learn. We can cultivate compassion, right, to help balance that. So please do practice these things above. Just pick one of them. Pick one of any of the things I mentioned and just give it a go, right? In terms of creating effective change in the world, we want to always check in if we're hanging out too much in empathy and need to move towards compassion and therefore compassionate action. We'll be able to help a lot more people without feeling overwhelmed or burning out if we can do that. And y'all, we've got some work to do in this wild, wild world of ours right now. So let's take care of ourselves and each other. Okay? Okay. If you want to start integrating all of this work that you're absorbing in the podcast into this one precious life we have, apply for the Adventure Mastermind. It's soul work deep work, important, necessary, and essential to what the world needs right now, we've got some one-on-one sessions with me as a killer bonus if you sign up before the end of May. So just apply. There's no obligation just for turning in your application. We'll chat if it's right for you. I want to make sure it's right just as much as you do, okay? So be a part of it. Apply at adventuremastermind.com. If you like what you heard, please spread the love and share it. And if you know you need some help with this and want to learn more about how to free your mind and free your life, go to rebelbuddhist.com and grab my free Rebel Buddhist Toolkit, where you'll receive a video training on cultivating resilience, access to the private Rebel Buddhist group where I do weekly live sessions on topics just like this, and a copy of the gorgeous Rebel Buddhist Manifesto, and more for free. That's rebelbuddhist.com.